Welcome to the first installment of the Farzad Mespahi Forum of Patreon people. And we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about what the community wants to talk about, what the, our community here and on our channel wants to talk about. And this is uh, a forum where we're all going to sit down, share ideas, talk about those ideas to get some insight into what the Tesla community uh, internationally abroad, the entire globe, uh, is thinking about and wants to talk about. So this is my way to try and bring different voices within the community uh, to have this these kinds of discussions. And uh, we're starting with uh, my Patreon members. Thank you guys so much uh, for, for supporting the channel and obviously everyone else out there that has been supporting the channel. But I'm very, very excited to sit down and have these discussions because I think we're going to have a lot of different uh, varying degrees of ideas and commentary, I think, from folks that uh, perhaps you know, don't have a platform like like some of us YouTubers have. Uh, this is my way to try and bring more voices into the fold that could add uh, different ideas, different opinions, and perhaps uh, bring some light bulb moments for all of us to think about as we continue on this journey of watching Tesla and Elon and companies like those transform the world. So I'm very excited to get the uh, discussion started with the group here. So uh, we'll start uh, with uh, I'll sort of I'll throw out a name, and then if you don't mind introduce yourself, how you came about Tesla, how you found Tesla, and uh, maybe a little bit of a, a story, where you're from, and, and anything else you'd like to add. So uh, we'll start with the first one here. We'll start with Kuba, since you're a upper left corner here for me. Uh, let's go okay. ahead and give you the mic. Yeah, so I'm Kuba. I live in Poland. Uh, I'm 36 years old, uh, former programmer and turned business owner. I now run a software company with 40 odd people. Uh, I learned about Tesla well quite early on because you know in the, in the IT circles it was also quite uh, popular even when they started with the with the Roadster back in the day. Uh, but in terms of investing myself I, I started buying my first Tesla shares in 2019 just around the, the Cybertruck unveil and I got the first lesson that still is valid to this day that when you plan to try to play for an event and then expect the price of the shares to go up. It usually goes down after the event. <laughs> it seems to be true with very few exceptions from my experience in those past almost three years. Uh, so unfortunately, I wasn't as wise to keep the shares from 2019. I was trading on and off. So I'm not a millionaire yet, but hopefully that would change now that I'm wiser in the, in the next few years. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Uh, Danny, we'll, we'll have you go next. Hey, I'm Danny Eakins. Uh, I'm a process and uh, facilities engineer. Um, I own Elevated Automation. What got me into Tesla? Um, I, I just love, obviously, with what I do with automation and everything, I absolutely love all things automation. And then there was some random dude named Elon out in California uh, putting, putting a electric vehicle together and I was like I'm rooting for him I really am but man if there's one thing that we've seen in the past is once they get once they get started they just kind of fizzle out and then um, then I what really got me going was SpaceX and following rockets I've always loved uh, the Apollo program space shuttle I've always um, um, that's actually where we went on our honeymoon when I got married seems like a whole other life ago but uh, so we went to the Kennedy Space Center. That was uh, super inspiring. But I was a lot of what Elon says. Um, I felt the same way that it's like, well, what are we doing now, guys? Like we went to the moon how long ago? And uh, anyway, when it comes back 
getting back to Tesla, um, I really started thinking about investing a little bit into it. I think it was late 2019, uh, 2020. Should have done it. Totally didn't do it. Um, but uh, got into it. Um, honestly, right about when Farzad came onto the scene, I was like, well, I'll throw some money in there and get going on it. So probably got, I'm probably the one that's got the least amount of shares out of everybody, but boy, my passion about automation and uh, Elon, Elon is definitely, he definitely has some good ideas that I can get behind hundred percent. Awesome. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, Radman, we'll go with you next. Hey, my name is Rodman. Um, Rodman, see, I'm so sorry. I, that's all good. It's all, it's all good. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm a former software engineer. Uh, I, I left my company in about 2007 and I was doing some lead stuff and I'd always been really passionate about investing. I was like trying to get my group, uh, like I would always try to get them, you know, like in their 401ks and stuff like that and like talking to people about investing. And I was personally interested. I left my company and I was like, well, what am I going to do now? And I was like, I'd already like kind of set up like sort of a foundation for investing. And so I've been investing since then. Um, I first got into Tesla, like, you know, you see, you hear a little bit about like Elon starting SpaceX, like this was back in the 2000s and like he was building the Roadster and you'd see like articles about it, but like, it was like, oh, you can actually take an electric car and you can drive from LA to Las Vegas. And I, that was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. And I had another friend from the same company and he was like, we, he was an, also an investor. And I, I, I talked to him over chat and he was like, I was like, so what are you still invested in? And he was like, well, I sold everything. I'm not investing anymore, but I kept Tesla. And I was like, you're keeping Tesla? Like this company, they don't have a product. And I was like, okay. And, but it put it on my radar and like, um, I moved to the East Coast in 2008, and then I moved back um, in 2012, and that was like about the period the Model S started coming out. And I moved, I was back here in LA, and like the Model S was hot. I mean, it was the it car, and LA is the it's a city about the it car to have. And so when I saw this thing selling, I was like, okay, it's time to like start like like you know like my friend had put like Tesla in my mind, and then I was like. So I just bought a little bit. Um, and then over time, you know, like Tesla became uh, like just Elon became a bigger thing. He released the Hyperloop, like he had that paper about it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then, um, you know, like uh, XKCD, like they had like a little thing on like Elon and like it just started like bubbling up. And we finally just tied, tried to uh, test drive a car in like 2017, maybe. And like that was right before the Model 3. Like we were all interested in it. And then my brother-in-law got one. He put his name, like he was one of those people who like put his name in for reservation without it, like um, without even seeing the car. Right. And then we like, we were like, we were wowed by like the test drive. And then like he bought one in 2018, like he had one of the first, you know, 5,000 cars. And then I bought one uh, like right before the end of the year, before the tax credit, like, exited and then like that was like the game changer for me like when i sat in that car and i was like oh my god this is like an it's like an iphone for like as a car right that was like okay i'm all in on this i was like listening to podcasts about it i like started listening to tesla daily galley like and then like you know once i like really like firmed up like what this car this company was gonna do i was like okay 
I'm just going to start dumping money in. And that was like by far my biggest investments, like in 2018 and 2019. And then like, you know, after the Cybertruck hit, like it just kind of shot up and it's been great since then. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. Thank me. you. Thank you very much. And then uh, last but not least, we'll have uh, Andreas, if you want to go next. And uh, maybe after you're done introducing yourself, kick us off with the first topic uh, that we'll discuss as well. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Fazad. So yeah, my name is Andreas. I'm based in South Africa in Johannesburg. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been in tech since well, I started coding since I was 10. So I've got a bit of a misspent, uh, misplaced childhood there. And um, uh, I founded a, or one of the founders of a technology and analytics firm. So, you know, very into tech and analytics, but I suppose I got wind of Tesla and Elon in around 2010, 2011, because I studied aerospace engineering and, uh, the, it was SpaceX actually that, that, that drew my attention. I probably should have heard of, I felt pretty embarrassed not knowing about them much sooner, given that that I'd studied aerospace engineering and that Elon was from South Africa and so on. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, that then led me to see Tesla. And I, and I got really interested in Tesla. And it was super frustrating because being in South Africa, you, you, it was very hard to become a Tesla customer, right? So the first Tesla, you know, I had the app, embarrassingly, on my phone with no <laughs> products on it, right? You know, just, just to have the app. And uh and, and I can share it with this group, but other people would think like, yeah, what, what's wrong with you, you know? And um, in about 2016, the Powerwall was launched here. So I was one of the first adopters of the Powerwall one here in South Africa with solar panels. But in 2014, uh, we, when it, we went overseas, went to Germany and, you know, to my wife's dismay, like top on my priority was to get a test drive in the Model S, which, which had just been launched there. So um uh, so that was amazing, right? It just met all expectations and expectations were super high. So I think I started investing around 2016, 2017. And even since then, I mean, it will be a while, obviously, since the vehicles will launch here in South Africa, given the um, supply constraint, it, it it does make sense to move into new markets um, for some time still. But, um, you know, whenever we go abroad, I'm, I'm always super keen to to test drive and and I never miss the opportunity to do so. Um, or actually hire now. I mean, it's been great that you can actually hire a Tesla now um, properly. So um, yeah, that's that's a brief summary. Uh, yeah, I haven't sold any shares. I've I've just been uh, you know accumulating as we go along. Um, I mean, I was kind of tested when uh, it hit nine hundred about a year ago for the first time. It's like, do I sell? Don't I? And I had to make an in principle decision that. Yeah, I'm in it for the long term. I, I I still fundamentally believe in the firm. It's better off than what it was when I first invested. So, um, so just just stay in, right? Uh, and now, even now with the cutback, I'm just using it as opportunity to buy more shares. And I suppose Fossad, that brings me to one of the topics, which is, um, you know, if if you invest, certainly if you invested early in Tesla and it's appreciated, what 10x, 20x, whatever the numbers might be it can end up being a significant portion of your net assets, right? And um, if you then still have money to invest, the question is, what are you invested in? And from my standpoint, it's very difficult to justify investing it in any other investment instrument for the simple reason that the way I see Tesla as it stands today, its current valuation, even as of a month ago, let alone where it is today, is justified based on the core business, right? Based on 
manufacturing vehicles at a 30% GP and growing at 50, 60, 70% year on year. And to be honest, even if Elon, it seems to me, is not part of the biz- that, that core business, it still justifies the valuation that's there. So it's, from that perspective, it's a safe investment, right? On the other hand, it's got a 10, 20, 30, 40, 50x, depending who you speak to, upside. So the question is, what other investment instrument is pretty safe, has got a proven track record, can justify its current value, and yet has a, a pretty tangible 50x upside, right? Um, and when I say tangible, you may say, well, look, the Optimus ain't going to make it, the probability of succeeding. is not, but, but the point is, you can articulate a clear story and put numbers to, to that path, right? Um, so then it becomes very difficult because if you look at your um, portfolio, from a portfolio perspective, putting all your eggs in one basket makes no sense. But on the other hand, um, you, you know, what do you do? Do you diversify in other instruments where you know it's a suboptimal investment and you have to sit by and watch Tesla perform better over the years whilst your other investments don't? And, and so I've really been grappling with this, and I'd, I'd love to get um, additional perspectives on, on, on this issue. That's a phenomenal question. Um, who would like to go first? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. So, like, to me, what you're articulating is that putting all your, like, having a strong investment in one company, making it a large part of your portfolio is a risk, right? And then, um, like, people will tell you, well, you have to mitigate that risk, and they'll tell you that's diversification, right? But the thing that I feel about that is that there are multiple ways to mitigate any risk, okay? So, my way I mitigate my risk by having a concentrated portfolio is like I do research, right? And I have a mentality for what happens when it's not performing the way I want it, which it's doing now, right? So like one is keep an eye on the long, long time horizon, right? And like what the company is, right? So if you feel like your company that you're investing in still has great potential, you can kind of mitigate that by, you know, making sure that you really understand what that company is doing and that you're reevaluating constantly. But like once you sell or once there's a short-term issue and you sell, right, you've suddenly like kind of committed yourself to like, um, to, to, to losing you know, to having a losing uh, asset on your portfolio. So, yeah, I think, you know, as long as you're in it for the long term and you see that the company is still performing well, like just stay in there and it's not going to be a problem. But the problem is, you know, there there are always other risks that you have to like evaluate. It's like, you know, the, the common ones are, you know, what if Elon leaves or something worse happens to him? You know, those are things that are a little bit harder to control. And then, you know, the, the counter to that that, uh, that I hear is, you know, well, Tesla's already been set up on a good path forward. And even if te- Elon's there, it's going to perform like a certain amount, whether, um, whether he's there or not. So I think, I think he's already put in, you know, like the foundations and set the car moving in the right direction. So even without Elon, 
it's going to do well. It's just not as well as if it was there. But yeah, that's that's kind of what how I think about the concentrated portfolio issue. What do you think? And on that on that note, um, with something I've been thinking a lot of about and. And we can touch more on this later and, and stick to more investing. But one thought about Elon, and we're all obviously we want him to take care of himself and we want him to stick around for a while. But uh, I've been really stuck on the uh, DSM, the digital self management of Tesla. And it's like, man, that I, I, I've nicknamed the dang thing. Uh, it's like FSD for, uh, uh, oh my goodness, the like, giga texas or giga china or whatever i mean it, it really is the autopilot of tesla and the more information we get on it from from an engineer's perspective um well we, we can get more in the into that later but uh, to me there's there's so many things that elon um it's like farzad always says i mean most most people are playing in 2D. Elon's playing 3D and like 3D chess. I mean, the guy is brilliant, and you better believe he's putting in some measures into that company that are making it to where he ha- he doesn't have to be as involved in every decision. I mean, the very definition of the DSM is that people can just self manage and just check in with the the digital uh, self-management and say, was that a good decision? Was that a bad decision? Are are we making more money? Are we not making more money? Okay, well, that wasn't good. Let's go back to what was good. Kuba, any thoughts on uh, what Andreas mentioned? Uh, Yeah, uh, what resonates with me in that respect is, uh, I think most of us, all of us watch Stephen Mark Ryan as well. From solving mm-hmm. the money problem. Who is that? And he <laughs> he always says that there's certainly going to be some investments in the stock market in like 10 years or further that will gain more than Tesla, but there's possibly none that you have more confidence that this is likely to, to gain a lot. So that's more or less what Andreas said. And that's, yeah, that's very true for me. So I also grapple with this. And uh, the only other sizable investments that I have is Bitcoin that I have like uh, has a similar potential in terms of upside. But obviously it's, it's well, depending who you ask, it's either purely speculative or it has some also utility. I will see. Uh, uh, yeah, but this, uh, the black swans are, are what worries me, right? Uh, mm. Say a war with China or... Uh, Oh yeah, something happening to Elon, or I don't know what else can happen. Uh, so that's that's the biggest risk. But so maybe you should diversify into something completely different. Uh, but yeah, but then then there's this risk that yeah, you just see that your money is not working as well as it should. Yeah. So that's yeah. then some some work that you have to do on your mentality to accept that and know why you're doing it. And that might be difficult because we're right. all, all of us are accustomed to like pretty right. chunky gains every year. Uh, and one, one interesting strategy that I recently started looking into is to diversify into uranium because it seems like we'll have to go heavy into uh, nuclear power for at least in the transitionary period before we can produce enough batteries to stabilize the, the solar power the grid. Uh, 
And yeah, so I have a few, a few interesting friends that are heavy into, into commodities and uranium seems to be an interesting pick and uh, it sort of uh, balances out the heavy concentration on solar and batteries with Tesla. That's, that's actually a, a great point, uh, uh, Cuba, because it, it's very, you, you know, when it comes to looking at commodities, it's very easy to say, well, let's, let's focus on all the, the battery oriented commodities, right? Like nickel, copper, cobalt, et cetera. But it's uranium the same doesn't. Basket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and as you say, it's a complete diversification because you're not reliant on the rate of adoption of electric vehicles at that point. That's, that's a very, very, cool perspective thank you yeah i wasn't even thinking about that's that's a that's a very that's very unique and i think it's 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 yet another sort of cool way that you can uh invest in emerging future high potential technologies or commodities or whatever that are loosely tied to the trends that are happening i think i yeah. think the the one thing that was brought up was um like for example, my my investments are so eighty percent of our investments is essentially split in half between real estate and Tesla. Probably less than Tesla now since the last few weeks here. But it's uh, you know, it's it's and the way I think about my Tesla investments is the, the way I think about my investments that are non-Tesla. It's purely a way for me to hedge against the risk of owning Tesla from the perspective of Elon's health and some sort of catastrophic thing that could happen. But I'm also accepting the fact that I'm likely going to miss out on outsized gains on those investments. So like I'm like basically the exercise I've done for myself is like, I know that this percentage of my money, I'm not going to make that much money on it, but I'm doing it just in case. It's 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 just an acceptance of I'm not going to have as much money as as I as I could have had. That and that and that's it. And it's I don't know if that's a proper rationalization or not, but that's how I think about it. Mainly, maybe just like in a in a greedy way to just like tell myself that it's okay that I invested that I didn't go 100% into Tesla before. It's like, well, yeah, you never you never you know you, you never know what's going to happen, but. I view it purely as a as just a way to try and to try and stay grounded, and perhaps in a, in a different way, it forces me to um, not be always thinking about Tesla twenty four seven. Because if I don't force myself to do it, I will not do it, right? And that's maybe another mechanism that I have that it forces me to step outside the Tesla bubble from time to time and get exposed to different things that are going on that could either be very complementary or or whatever else like for example the real estate uh, example that we have all our real estate is in austin texas and the timing we had of it and, and you know we we basically mortgaged the properties when, when we got into 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 austin and the rate of growth for those properties if you compare the appreciation of the of the real estate versus the loans that we took out against them is very similar if not bigger than the growth we had in our tesla investment because of how crazy the austin real estate has been but it becomes a question of okay so how in the next five years, is that still going to be the case? And if Tesla has the sort of the runway that it's set up uh, for itself for the next five, you know, three to five years, then Tesla is very likely to uh, dramatically outsize the rest of our investment portfolio. So um, that's how I think about it. I don't know if it's if it's any helpful, but it's I mean, like sometimes I go to my wife and I jokingly say, why don't we just sell everything, buy Tesla, buy an RV and just live in an RV for the next five <laughs> years and then retire on Mars, you know, like 10 years from now. 
And that's like a legitimate potential investment strategy if you're somebody who's who really believes in Tesla, you know, like just liquidate everything, dump it all into Tesla and just wait. Right. But then the, the opposite conversation becomes, well, OK, but what are you giving up in order to do that? Right. Are you giving up the ability to leverage your your, uh, you know, your real estate properties for something else? Maybe I don't know. Maybe you're you're going to donate one of them to one of your family members where they retire. Right. There's like a bunch of different factors that also go in the conversation. So it's like how much of your how much of your daily life or what you want to do as a human being are you willing to give up to invest into Tesla? Um, so I also view it through that lens. I don't know if that's helpful, but that's that's how I think about it. Yeah, I, I think for me, what's super useful, two things. One is there's no shortcut. You need to mentally prepare yourself. Like you've got to make a choice and then mentally prepare yourself for for the alternative and and just stop comparing, right? If you say, I'm going to take 20% of my uh, assets, put them in, in a diversified option, then it, it's a conscious choice. And I think as a Tesla investor, you, you prepare you have to mentally prepare yourself anyway, given the volatility of the stock, right? You, you can't always worry about where it's going. So, so it's kind of taking that discipline and applying it. But, but I think the, the other nice angle is if you're excited about what the alternative is, like if it's a uranium investment and you can, th that makes it equally interesting, right? Um, and so, so I like that because you see, part of my, my thinking was, well, let me look at crypto. But you see, for me, crypto as it stands now seems... Like, like I've got some money in Bitcoin. It's very hard to make a case around Bitcoin going 10x. It could, but what it had peaked at a trillion market cap. It's going to go to 10 trillion. It's now significantly larger than gold potentially. It's and it's difficult to see the mechanism and uh, you know a lot of stars have to align. Whereas with Tesla, you can quite easily articulate a 10x, right? So from that respect, it's been super useful for me because I haven't had to worry about stressing about missing on the next crypto wave yeah. I, like i'm like i don't care it's not i'm not, I'm not you know i can have fun with crypto playing around here and there just trading but uh, as a long-term investment i don't have to stress about that and the question is then what's the alternative but yeah kuba i think you're onto something the uranium is uh, you, you've given me stuff to do over the weekend well, I, I honestly, I, I put a little bit of money in uranium and it did very well for, for a while there. And uh, I mean, even Elon himself is saying, like, in regards to like Germany, he's like, I beg of you guys, like, it's critical that you reopen your nuclear mines. Like, you guys are crazy for shutting him down. And especially, I mean, he said it before the whole Russian side of things. And now, especially with, I mean... At this point, it's a national security uh, decision to not have nuclear power at your disposal. I mean, if you have the technology, use it. And then, I mean, I even remember a story of when there was some issues out in Japan or whatnot with, I think it, there was like a tsunami Fukushima. or something. And uh, Elon went over and just ate a cheeseburger like right there by the nuclear power plant and was like, we're good. And, like, just so we can calm the hysteria it's safe people like there's there's all sorts of redundant um uh, processes in place that that make it safe and um and until obviously elon saying yes we can just carve out a little corner of utah or nevada and put all of of the solar panels and we could power the entire United States. But until we get there, nuclear is our best option. I mean, we're not, 
we're not putting more carbon into the, the atmosphere that way and and uh, we're not relying on on oil and and coal and all that good stuff so uh, i completely agree with uranium right now in, in my opinion there's a fantastic ted talk um of someone who was very, uh, you know, very anti-nuclear, very pro uh, the traditional alternative energies, and uh, he talks about his his journey to supporting nuclear, and it's very fact-based, and talks about the grossly exaggerated dangers and impacts that Chernobyl and um, uh, Fukushima had, and so on. Right, so. Um, yeah, it's 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 really worth seeing, and yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent. I think the Americans need to stop calling it nuclear, uh, perhaps <laughs> because uh, that that uh, maybe doesn't help with the marketing that much, right? So <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Yeah. That's Let's funny. stick with the spelling. Right? That's so funny. I think yeah. I think what's but the flip side of that is like you look at the recent look at the recent price action for Tesla in the last few months. Right. And then you think about the, the initial question of, okay, so even in the case of uranium, which has a, a tremendous amount of potential as uh, nuclear or nuclear uh, becomes more and more um, uh, accepted, hopefully, as we move forward, if if this price action continues and Tesla's um, Tesla's path towards increasing cash flows and profitability continue to rise, and then if full self-driving becomes real here in the next, say, six to 12 months, like, I feel like the case that you made, Andreas, at the beginning, where it's like, okay, like, where, where are those, like, where are the investment opportunities that, are, that could potentially mirror Tesla? I feel like you go from a 10x to a, to, from, from a 50x to potentially a 100x, <laughs> depending, depending where the price is going, right? So I think it's also very dependent on the near-term price movements because of sort of the crazy nature that we're, uh, market that we're living through right now with, you know, with macro coming down, now you got this whole craziness with the ESG and the stuff that happened yesterday that came out that Elon's obviously refuting. So, so like how many of those pressures are going to make your that that decision you're coming up with even more difficult or even um, more towards the um, towards the angle of okay, so like Tesla is truly becoming a no-brainer investment, you know, like even even it goes from like hey the potential is incredible, but the core business is already good to like the core business is like incredible, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we're like at what point does that happen? And 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 what kind of decision-making process will people have that say okay, like literally like like th this is crazy, you know? I I'm curious to see how that plays out as well, and if there's going to be other parties that will join the fray that potentially in the past. You know, you se they separate out the signal from the noise, hopefully, and they just again refocus on the core business of the company. And they're like, "Man, this is like how how can we give it up? How can we give it up?" I don't know if that will happen. It just seems like the, the the lower we go in the price, and the more and more Tesla continues on its path. Like at some point, there, there's a convergence there, and you know, I don't know. I think it might have already started happening because what happened this quarter uh, when Toyota announced the results. Yeah. Turned out that Tesla made as much money as Toyota, um, producing like or many many less cars, right? And so that knocks out the argument of oh, but Toyota produces 10 million cars a year, so why is Tesla valued more? Because they make more money. It doesn't matter how many yeah. cars you produce. <laughs> exactly. it's not, not the it's not the the metric. It matters how much money you make, and it's now becoming abundantly clear even for the naysayers that. 
maybe Tesla is a bit more efficient with, with how they allocate capital and maybe the higher multiple is, is warranted, right? So I think that's, that's, that, that's been one of the first signals for everyone clear in the whole world to see what we're talking about for the past few years. On the, I, love I, the way, I love the way that Elon mentions it is their true product is the factory. Like it's the machine that builds the machine and the, the Teslas, as much as we love them, as much as they're just absolutely incredible and revolutionizing uh, transportation and everything, I mean, their true product is their factory and the machine that produces the machines. It's like the cars are just the byproduct of what the true product is. Yeah, for me, I think the big fear is, sorry, um, is, I mean, I think what's kind of holding the price down, at least amongst Wall Street people, is that, you know, it's still not clear whether, you know, the most past quarters, um, their profit margins reflect like new prices coming in, um, like, you know, like price of lithium has skyrocketed. Um, you know, it's not clear that they'll be able to keep those margins as high as they are. Um, you know, everything right now reflects the past and it's not clear yet what the current situation, the current environment um, for pricing and everything, how that's going to affect the, you know, the future results. So I think that's like part of what's keeping it down. But on the other hand, like you guys are saying, I think these are all short-term like issues and like, it's clear they have the demand, they have like the pricing power, like they're going to be increasing capacity. Like there's so many things that are like, it's that are going to play out. And despite whatever issues are right now, like, it's clear to me from like listening to like Farzad and Joe justice and like seeing other people talk about how Tesla operates. Tesla is uniquely situated and they have a unique culture that can respond to these things in real time. You know, it's just like, okay, so we have this problem, but we've been thinking ahead first of all, right. It's not like Tesla just started thinking about lithium prices. You know, they've been thinking about this, I mean, it's clear to me that they've been thinking about it for at least 10 years, right? And like the people who are having problems are the people who just started thinking about it, right? It's like, oh, we're Toyota and we're going to start producing a new car, a new, new electric car this year. Yeah, you're going to have problems with securing, you know, lithium or batteries or whatever, right? So like all these issues that like, I think Wall Street has with it, I think they're legitimate, but like, Tesla is uniquely like just situated to like prepare for these things. They think ahead. It's yeah. It's not a worry to me. Someone was going to jump in. I don't know if, if you still had, I forget who it was. Did somebody else had a comment there? I was going to jump yeah. in, but it was, a, it was a bit of a derailment. Uh, but, but, but to, to Rodman's point, if I can perhaps add to that, that yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's ironic in some respects when, when Tesla first started, uh, they had obviously massive issues securing uh, suppliers that uh, certainly uh, first-class suppliers to to source um, parts from and 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 whatever the case is. And clearly now they're in completely opposite space where um, all you know all the supplies of batteries and so on were ought to favor Tesla. Um, but but the double irony there is is that they they're also scared of Tesla in that they. You know, any Tesla can can really out negotiate and out, out dominate them. So th 
there's, there's still an incentive for existing suppliers to to diversify and not put all their eggs in in Tesla's basket, uh, and you know focus on GM, even though GM may or may not be around, right? Um, so it's 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 quite ironic that they they had problems with suppliers for, when they first started, and it's kind of on the other extreme. They, it's it's still not not that easy, perhaps. Um, but uh, certainly, yeah, they they can dominate the market in terms of procurement now. Yeah, that that supply chain issue, like the the uh, GM and Ford and everybody else being in the game for a hundred years, and you really think about what these manufacturers are—they're really supply chain experts because they don't really make anything; they just it's third party everything. So in, the- in theory, they're just supply chain experts, and then these supply chain experts are struggling mightily through one of the biggest supply chain shocks in the history of the economy. Yet Tesla is navigating through it like an expert. So like that's yet another thing that's sort of coming to to Tesla corner that I think is not well understood is even in the thing that the traditional automakers are saying is their game they're losing to the newcomer you know like forget the newcomer stuff then even the thing they think they're good at they're not as good as the newcomer you know uh it's fascinating stuff what was the what was your derailment there <laughs> what were you going to derail us with <laughs> Good to have um, opposing views. My, my derailment when when Danny mentioned uh the factory being the product um and it's the machine that makes the machine. I, I wanted to get a sense from you, Farzad, whether you, uh, how you may have experienced that from the inside. Um, I, I know you weren't on the manufacturing side, you, you're in distribution, but did, did it manifest in some way? Did you? Because I'm still trying to get my head around um, practically what that means um, and how they're gearing the business towards that, right? And what's the difference between? making a super efficient factory versus thinking of the factory as the product, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. So in my world, that terminology probably doesn't apply uh, to it nearly as much as it would in manufacturing because the way the way it's sort of thought of within the company when you you know build a machine that builds a machine, you're, you know, it's kind of like you're investing the engineering work talent bandwidth into building the product the 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 factory so that it's as automated as humanly possible it's just a question of of machinery automation right but one of sort of one of one of the things that could correlate to the work that we were doing within tesla is that at least on the distribution side is that there was a a tremendous amount of time and effort put into automating all the processes and all the steps that pertain to the distribution process uh, and upstream and downstream of that process as well with our own tools and know-how without any sort of third-party help or it's third-party tools or consultants or whatever. It was like Tesla, essentially the, the, the it became Tesla is not just the expert of EVs and battery manufacturing. Tesla needs to become the expert of distribution. So that's the sort of uh, sort of mentality that 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 they hit it. And one of my really early videos, I sort of talked about how um, when when Tesla's not afraid to take anything within within the company, everything's sort of in house as much as they humanly can. So that's the vertical integration mantra that they have, right? But but it's not just a manufacturing thing; it's an everything thing, everything. And and Tesla's becoming, you know, 
Elon describes it as multiple small businesses in one. He talks about the AI thing. He talks about the, you know, the service centers. They own the service centers, but they also own distribution. They own uh, supply chain management. They own a lot of upstream suppliers, right? So it's like stuff like that. They're not afraid to bring in. And then within those specific processes, they invest a lot of time to, uh, towards automation. So when I think about machine that builds a machine in that respect, in my head, it's just automation. And a lot of the work that I did at the company and my teams did were built around without, you know, divulging too much. Because again, I don't want to freaking get sued by Elon's lawyer showing up at my house and knocking down my front door. <laughs> so I got to be careful. Uh, but but we, we spent a lot of time creating tools that pointed teams towards things that uh, needed attention on the fly, sort of that digital self-management-ish type process. Um, but uh, we did so uh, as granularly as humanly possible so that we removed any sort of ambiguity when you're trying to tackle a problem. And that's where automation becomes super, super uh, powerful when it comes to uh, digitally self-managing, is that you, you get as granular as humanly possible that says, yep, this thing broke, you know, this thing broke and we know exactly where it happened. We know who it was responsible and it goes specifically to the team that is responsible for for uh, uh, addressing it. It's basically like exception management. I don't know if, I don't know if you're familiar with that sort of tech terminology, but but we do so we do. We build the tools ourselves. We uh, we um, iterate on those tools ourselves and and uh, yeah, and then it, it's applied to every single step of the process. I don't know if that helps answer your question, but there, there's a lot of effort that goes into things that are outside of manufacturing where Tesla is the expert, if that makes any sense. Can you expand on the technicals? How was it working? Were you like doing coding yourself or? Yeah, we were, we were doing a lot of the software dashboarding. developers embedded also in the team? Yeah, yeah, we had, so we had software development, we had uh, people within our team. So we had essentially dashboard folks, we had uh, KPI folks, we had software folks, we had coding folks, and they're all sort of in their own teams per se, but they all collaborate together to bring these tools forward. So, and sometimes what we do, I mean, I gotta be really careful here because I feel like I'm divulging uh, a little bit too yeah, much. Yeah, probably if we should stop pulling yeah, your time. I'm gonna shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'll just add to that because yeah. that's, I was recently thinking about it, that this this part of writing software for, for themselves, it's it's a huge mode for Tesla yeah. and it's underappreciated. And they've been because open about that, right? Experience. Elon's talked about yeah. that too on the, on the manufacturing side, how they do a lot of that. But, you know, it's probably safe yeah. to assume that if they're going to do it on the manufacturing side, they might do it everywhere else too, you know? Because I know from experience that if you have a big company like Tesla now is and you use some third-party suppliers or vendors for software, it takes ages to do any small change. And that slows down the whole business. And Tesla with breakneck speed, if you can modify the software on the fly, it's going to be a huge advantage and will be manifested more and more, I think. Yeah. And it's a double whammy. It's not just internal, but then the teams internally are also extremely talented. So you get double the speed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's another thing. Yeah, that maybe, I, yeah. Maybe I can provide some uh, context of relating it to the packaging world. I mean, it's obviously very different. They're building cars instead of packaging products into bottles. But we, we had, uh, I mean, heck, even 10 years ago, we had what's called an OEE system, overall equipment efficiency system. And what we had throughout the line, so it was a high-speed bottling line. We'd have a bottle and scrambler, a high-speed filler, uh, a capper, and all like rejects throughout the whole thing. Then it'd go through a labeler, induction sealer, go through an automated capper. And what we did as a, a maintenance crew is we went through and put every 
at every station we had photo eyes basically and this was the dumb this was like a decade ago so like what the technology is now is far beyond that but we'd have little photo eyes at every single um, station that's counting the bottles so we know all how many bottles went on and then at every reject station or if a cap didn't have a foil or something we'd auto reject it off of the line and it would all report back to the central uh, database and then it would report back to a dashboard that was just displayed right there for production that would give everybody the first pass yield like what our performance is during the day the bottle count how many good are coming off and it would actually graph exactly um what the performance is and for the maintenance crew and, th and that's why i'm so passionate about it is because it really is next level oee basically dsm is the next step um, and instead of a bunch of photo eyes um, that are just counting bottles and whatnot and then minusing uh rejects and all of that good stuff it's it's more visual um I mean, back in the day, in a Connex camera, when we were doing, uh, say, lock code inspections and verifying that the lock code was right, I mean, those cameras back then were like, I mean, just massive. And now, now we can get uh, quality inspection cameras that are just tiny. You can put them in places that you never could back then. So I would imagine uh, if I was there, I would have those little quality inspection cameras throughout that entire line and I'm sure they do um, but in real time and but that's what was helpful is it would track because we were tracking that data we would get how efficient each piece of equipment was so before we even had a problem with the machine it would track it and we would actually have a, a quick meeting first thing in the morning and just inspect just look at the data of okay the cappers at 98% efficient, uh, it's passing 98% um, of it. And if that percentage dropped, it gave us insight that the, the thing is still working, but we would schedule maintenance on it because we knew any sort of drop uh, of that uh, first pass yield, we know that, okay, well, we've got, we've got something wrong with it and we would send a maintenance guy over to it. Let me give you a little bit of uh, context within test. So what you described as Thank you for sharing that insight because I think it really paints a picture of how many different moving pieces there are when it comes to creating a process or an environment where you have a, a process that creates something and then you have checks and balances and tools that help you make that process as efficient as possible, okay? And this is where Tesla, I think, is so different from everybody else. So think about, about, think about all the work you put into that right now. Right, that existing process. You've you probably mm -hmm. spent a ton of time planning the process, building the process, hiring people for the process, implementing the processes, testing the processes, uh, maybe uh, reiterating on those processes. Uh, you know, here and there, tweaking it, creating the tools around it to check it, verifying the tools that you created to check it, uh, training everybody on the tools, ensuring that everybody's using the tools. Okay, so you've just spent so much time and labor to build this thing. Okay, what what right. usually happens in a company? Usually, what happens in a company is that this thing's built out. Everybody has put in a lot of work. They're like, thank God this thing is done. They put it into place, right? And then what ends up happening? That thing is in place for 10 years because people are like, no, 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 no. We spent so much time building this thing. No, we can't, we can't break it. it. Don't mess it up. Exactly. It's given us exactly the insight that we need. We see exactly what the numbers are and we're, we're tracking everybody against this and HR is going to be pissed because you're going to change how the metrics thing and then people are going to be upset because you're changing something on them. 
the magic of Tesla is that that shit goes out the window the second somebody finds something better, right? Yep. That's the magic of Tesla is that the, or whatever work you've put in to build that entire process, if the engineers or whoever else is thinking, you know what, this entire process is stupid. Let's take out 40% of it and just completely rebuild this thing. This is how we're going to do it. Tesla is like, okay, yeah, let's go. And then you have 100% yeah. of the team bought in. That's the difference. That's the difference. Well, that, that, that's super useful because I, I was thinking, you know, one of the challenges of automation is it can create stickiness, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. And it can, it can exactly. entrench and, and embed. And so in and of itself, it's not sufficient, right? It makes you efficient within a very given context, but you're then locked to that context and you can't evolve. And I think what you've just highlighted there is, is really super useful. That nuance um, of willing to let go of what, what is regardless of how much effort or time or automated it is, is, is fantastic culturally. Right. Just to jump in here, I think it's a step further than that. I think Tesla designed stuff just like based on interviews, uh, like it's designed so that the process is really flexible and it's designed that you can add, rapidly iterate and throw out stuff that you don't put in something that takes a lot of time. Like even like Giga Texas is designed with a lot of space in mind. Joe Justice has talked about this, like instead of squishing everything together, you give everything a lot of more room to breathe. And then when you want to iterate on something, you can put a new one right beside it. And then you can put both of them right beside each other and have both of them going. And once one starts showing that it works, you can drop the other and then there's no problem, right? So it, like it, it allows for flexibility, rapid iteration. And as a software developer, you understand these things. You, you like waterfalls out, you got to go quick, right? And it's yep. just taking these same software ideas and applying them in a manufacturing like capacity, and that that's like that's what no one else is doing. And that's like, I, I think you know what's going to come out of Tesla and out of Elon in a hundred years from now. What we're going to have learned is that this is a better way. Like this is how to apply software techniques, to, modern software techniques to manufacturing, and like. For anyone to think that, like, I mean, everyone's still trying to follow Toyota, like, and yeah, like he's just found something that blows that out of the water. And you can see it in the financials. I mean, it's just clear, like, okay, so going back to the Model 3, my brother-in-law bought his in 2018. And then I got mine, like early 2018. And I got mine in late 2018. He sat in my car. He was there when I got it delivered. And he was telling me how the seats felt different. Like within a year, like they had completely revamped the seats. He was like, your seats are so much more comfortable than mine. And I was like, why would they have changed that? And how could they have changed that so quickly? And that's just like one sign of like just all the little things that they can just rapidly change. And where Toyota and everyone else, they're going to be like, we got to wait a year or three years before we can put in one of those changes. Tesla's doing boom, boom, boom. Like every single day, the car is different. Like, like well, they're just rapidly iterating. And that is the essence of like building the machine that builds the machine. It's because they built the machine. Like that factory is so flexible that it allows the people, like whether it's automation or people driven, they can just, boom, we'll take this out. We'll put this in. It's just plug and play, right? It's just like, it's yeah. modular, right? So they can just iterate. And, and, and this, that, con sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say within that context, the culture is a machine. 
Like that, that's, that's yeah. like, that's, it's Absolutely. truly down like, to the essence is the culture. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, yeah, that's, that's a super awesome insight because yeah, like you think about, uh, it's almost another level. It's like the machine that builds the machine that builds the machine is the people. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's the culture that like Tesla has really built. It's not just Tesla, it's SpaceX. Look, you look at like everyday astronaut. He just like showed that video where he like, where he went in with Elon. And like, it's amazing because like, like no one had ever thought to rapidly iterate on rockets, right? It's just like, you, you look at the NASA model or any other model and they would be, you know, they'd be spending years like just planning everything. And then it has to go through change. Like, like, oh my God, it must be insane to like compare like NASA versus SpaceX. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, if you, if you're an investor and you look beyond the surface and you look at what these two companies do, and you can even go to Neuralink and Boring Company, but like, you just look at all these companies and you just look at that surface level difference of like how it operates, like how the organizations operate. Each one of these companies is a machine that builds the machine that builds the machine. And like each one of them is completely unique if you compare it to everything else in the world, except for maybe software engineering. But like, yeah, it's crazy. Wouldn't it be fascinating to see how this uh, works out in terms of Twitter, right? What that means for Twitter, for for a social media company. That that will be mind-blowing. So that's why I'm keeping my fingers crossed that it goes through in the end. That's a really, one way or another, yeah. there will be there will be a Twitter, there will be a social media company that he creates. I think it's, it's just a question of whether it's Twitter or if he like starts from scratch. I think it honestly is essential, um, just for the fact that one one thought that occurred to me the other day when uh, uh, I think it was watching a Farzad video about Twitter or something, and an idea popped up that uh, <laughs> uh, no, they it just made me think it's like, okay, well, FSD beta is obviously getting incredible and getting to the point now where the, that's just, in my opinion, it very well could become a a major weapon for those that oppose Elon to really attack FSD and, and prevent it from going from FSD beta to FSD alpha. And now everybody can have it. So to me, Twitter and that, um, the thought popped into my head is that's the way that he can get the truth out there. And because right now there is no PR department for Tesla. So in a way, he is the PR department, <laughs> ensuring, ensuring that it's freedom of speech, ensuring that we can all voice our opinion. There's your PR department. So you have all this FUD coming from the government or whoever whoever wants to attack it for whatever agenda. You can say, well, that's nice you feel that way, but here's the facts. Here's, here's all the data, and now you can decide how you feel about it. I'm not sure that it helps too much. I mean, to be honest, like if he owns Twitter versus not owning Twitter, he still has a voice there. It's not like they're going to like ban him or anything uh, a lot so, of, a lot, I don't of know. a lot of people thought they would never ban trump either i, I can't believe actually i mean like like love him or hate him like the fact that a president of the united states was banned a president of the united states was banned that's actually i, I don't want to get political here but um if he can get banned 
why can't Elon? Well, yeah. But just just think, a thought. Just a thought. <laughs> Trump Trump was a little bit out of the normal of the spectrum for presidents. But I no, think I, that's I, what I the response. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I think I think the the question of Twitter and now Elon and his teams taking that on, um, I couldn't agree more, Kuba, with your statement because I think that's that inherently is going to be such a um, it's a disruption. It's yet another disruption to an uh, industry or whatever you want to call it, where somebody. Uh, who approaches things in a very unorthodox manner because no one else has done it that way before, and that's why it's unorthodox, is now becoming uh, now is now tackling a subject matter that is extremely public, extremely public, right? Like literally, everybody knows what social media is. Not everybody knows about electric vehicles, you know, and sort of s- rockets and stuff. Everybody knows what social media is. So like his exposure is going to become a hundred percent essentially of the population that that would that would be aware of who Elon Musk is versus maybe like, I don't know, 5% or 10%. Because not everybody can afford an electric car and not everyone's thinking about electric cars all the time, right? Whereas I think social media is a very different story because with the advent of the smartphone, everybody is on their smartphone every single day. And if a specific platform is created that could cater to, uh, to the needs of what people would be looking to do on a, on a social media platform on a daily basis, like say, I don't, I don't know in the if you guys caught this in the All In podcast, I think it was the All In podcast where he talked about, I think it was WeChat. Is that the, the one of the yeah. apps? Yeah, where he talked about how sort of WeChat is like the everything thing. You know, you get, you get news, video, you can talk to people, you can transfer money, right? And he talked about how either Twitter or something else could eventually become that thing for the United States. My understanding is that every single person in China uses WeChat. That's my understanding. I don't know if that's true or not, but like, it's kind of like, a text messaging app that has a bunch of other things. So I think I think if he's able to bring that to the United States and maybe globally, I think I think everyone's going to be exposed. A, a large percentage of the population is going to be exposed to the disruptive, innovative nature of his services and products versus a small percentage of the population. Yeah. You know, so like right now, uh, what one percent of of the car market in the United States, or maybe less or more, buys Teslas, and maybe one point five to two percent of the population has experienced a Tesla, like truly has experienced a Tesla and an Elon Musk product. Whereas now with Twitter, if he buys it, uh, potentially a hundred percent of the population could be exposed to an Elon Musk product and an Elon Musk innovative thing. So I wonder if that's gonna, how is that gonna transform the the discourse around his is that going to help or hurt you know what i'm saying so it's going to be very interesting to see just wanted to add my I two think, cents I, there. I think it i think it's brilliant honestly what you're saying there is because i mean how many of us even when we were introducing ourselves what brought us to elon like we were fascinated with rockets and then it was like this is absolutely brilliant what else does this guy do oh there's this thing called tesla and same thing goes for Twitter or whatever social media company it becomes. I mean, same concept. It's like, this is absolutely brilliant. I love how this works. It's engineered very well. What else does Elon do? You know, what else? Uh, what other capabilities, if they haven't? I mean, because there is still quite a bit, surprisingly enough, there's quite a bit of people that have never even heard of Elon, believe it or not. But But I think if you look at, his number of Twitter followers. Um, I think it's accelerated. I, I, I haven't really looked yeah. at the graphs, but 
just anecdotally looking at um, the numbers, it feels like it's it's accelerated since Twitter, uh, yeah, since this whole thing with Twitter started happening. So that very much talks to the point you're making, Fossad, um, in essence. Yeah, I was literally pulling up his, his uh, follower count. Um, he's at 94.2 million now. I think before the Twitter purchase, it was like in the 80s, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, so, yeah. so I think that's accurate. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the Twitter stuff from anybody? Uh, do you think that it's really uh, a viable option to, to start from scratch? It will be a pain to build a user base. I, yeah, it, it might cost a billion dollars, but yeah. how, how long and how much money you have to spend to attract as many people yeah. as you already have? I think you're. That's exactly. Often people say it's a billion dollars. You technically sure you can you can get it done, and I'm sure he'll have no issue doing it in in um, pretty quickly. But I assume yeah. the reason he's going the Twitter route is precisely. I mean the the, the network effects, like the effort. That's why he's to, so bothered with the bots percentage, right? Yeah, because he's yeah, really exactly. paying for users. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, he's paying for users and the network effects. It, it's really tough to, you know, shift people over to to something new, and and risky, right? Because you you really don't know. I mean, it's not like there's that much precedent for that type of thing to know that, you know, who's really done it successfully. Like taken a whole dominant social network and shifted everyone across to something new. Um, well, I mean, there was Friendster, then uh, MySpace, and then Facebook, yeah, but, right? But, but they were they were at early stage though, right? They, they, you know the market was still very open. The network effects weren't that dominant, right? Mm. Um, so so you're right. But I think that the, the field was still open. There were so many new users in proportion to the existing users at that point that if you could channel the flow of new users, um, you you'd be okay with something new if it was sufficiently compelling. Whereas with Twitter, it's not about channeling the flow of new users, but uprooting habits and uh, of of you, you know what's already entrenched. Sure. Yeah, it actually surprised me that he um, back before he actually bought Twitter, back when he was just running the poll. If you remember, um, I, I thought very very much so that he probably wouldn't, just because that didn't seem like the Elon way. Like if if you've heard some of his early interviews. That's one thing that he says a lot about Tesla is he's like, we definitely didn't start it the way that we should have. Like we shouldn't have bought that company and make that work the existing platform because oh, right. there we didn't use any of that. Like that was all just like a oops. So like from there is just any new things. It's like he starts from uh, first principles and just builds it from mm. there. So I just figured I was like, well, guessing he'll do the same thing with this, but that. But you're right. That's I would say that's probably the main reason. That's the main attraction. I would say is just the user. How many users mm -hmm. are on there? That's what he's actually buying. It just occurred to me. I think that he'll actually do it with Twitter as well. But we'll be underneath, and we won't know this. But when when he takes over Twitter after a year or two, the, the whole all of the code will be new. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, just the user base really... will be left and you'll actually have a new software platform underneath that sure. just happens to be called Twitter still and use yeah. the same user base. Exactly right. Yeah. It, yeah. It's funny. But, AC propulsion is Twitter. Or yeah. Twitter is AC propulsion. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, Amen. Amen, brother. 
uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt to you. that end, I, I do have a question because because part of me in my mind, like he did tweet what seems to be quite a compelling set of things that Twitter will become about technically, right? Yeah. In terms of um, <clears throat> cybersecurity, uh, server infrastructure, like really hardcore technology. Um, and part of me is thinking uh, are the synergies between, like it, it allows him to really push the boundaries in terms of hardcore tech on the Twitter side in a way that um, that type of investment may not be justified on, on the Tesla side or like, you know, he has to spend money on cybersecurity with Tesla. Right. But if we look at what, what Twitter needs to do, maybe it's next level. Right. Yeah. And the question then is, can that benefit SpaceX and can it benefit Tesla? And, and, and the question is to what extent is there collaboration between the businesses at the moment? I mean, it, uh, from what I've understood, it happens to a limited degree. Like, so for example, between SpaceX and Tesla on the material side, that yeah. there's a team that seems to, to, to but what, what are your thoughts on that? And everyone else's. That's a, that's a really good question. I think there's obviously going to be some level of shared um, talent, expertise, and learnings between all the companies because that already happens today. So I think it's I think it's fair to assume it's almost like okay, if you think about it from a first principles perspective, if you have all this talent, I, I just got to stop saying first principles because it's becoming like a buzzword like freaking Web3 and all that shit. So I'm just going to say, if you think about it, if you have all this talent under your umbrella uh, and all this knowledge under your umbrella and there's an obvious opportunity for you to share that bet- uh, and uh, reallocate part of it so that it helps you move towards your goal faster, why wouldn't you do it? Right. Whereas before, I think, uh, you know, say in a traditional business environment, you might have these like arbitrary or made up walls that are either HR driven or maybe like culture driven that say, well, no, you shouldn't do that because you're going to piss off somebody if you start working on this and the other company, you should just focus on what you're doing kind of thing. Right. Whereas Elon's like, okay, well, I mean, I have all these talented people and this person could bring value to this side of the, of the house. Why wouldn't we bring him over and have him work on this stuff? Right. We saw that all the time. We saw that within the company. Uh, within within departments all the time, you know, like w- we would work on stuff that has nothing to do with distribution because we felt like it would it would help, you know, um, like I worked on some packaging stuff while I was in distribution, but packaging was one of my big focuses, you know, that's it's it's so that shared experience within the companies exists, the shared experience and knowledge and tools exist between uh, companies. And so if Twitter becomes, uh, if it's under his umbrella, I don't see why that wouldn't be. And I'm, I'm trying to think through some of like the, what are the obvious, what are the obvious things that um, uh, Tesla and SpaceX could uh, pass on to Twitter from like a tool or knowledge perspective. I think the AI stuff from the Tesla side probably makes the most sense in some way. I don't know how exactly yet, but uh, there's got to be something. There's got to be something. So I'm curious to hear everyone so else's it thoughts. It sounds like yeah. the culture is the most important thing. Exactly. A hundred percent. And that's it goes back to this whole thing. Like a lot of people, I think, view Tesla as a and SpaceX and all these companies as engineering marvels. I view them as as an innovation on how you bring people together to solve problems at the core. The way I view these companies, it's not, yeah, the engineering is brilliant, but it's a people thing. It's a culture thing. A hundred percent, it's a culture thing. But uh, I'll pass the mic on to other people. I know uh, th- there was one interview that I saw. I know there's at least a few people that he's, Elon's actually used it as a recruiting tool. Like, And that's how he gets the best of the best is there, there have been some engineers that... Uh, Tesla or SpaceX have been going after. And the only reason that the, the 
like the deciding factor for them is like as long as I can work on rockets and cars, I'm I'm there. And I know there's at least a few engineers there that literally work. They've got it uh, set up to where they can work at SpaceX and Tesla. Yeah, and what on terms of, in terms of what Tesla and SpaceX can bring to Twitter, so certainly the software engineering talent, uh, and I think also that the software engineers uh, are overrepresented on Twitter, and we use Twitter more than the general population. So I think that that's why many of the current software devs from Tesla and SpaceX might be interested if they are bored. I don't know if it's possible to be bored at Tesla, but from my experience, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> software devs at some point, they they look for new opportunities and new areas to grow and uh, maybe new domains as well. So it'll be great to have an offer for them on the table. Well, you can go work on Twitter, the, the tool that you've been using for years and you, you like to use. It will be a bit of sabbatical for them. It's like, let's go to Twitter for a sabbatical, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, that's true. I think what's also interesting too is, um, like, I, being on YouTube and becoming a YouTuber in the last few months here and using this platform. YouTube has no competition; it has zero competition. How much could Twitter become that new sort of maybe competing platform to to YouTube yeah. with with media, right? And then you think about how does that extrapolate out to Tesla in the in the long term? Could Twitter or whatever new Twitter, whatever you know, to Kuba's point of in about two years' time, we're probably going to have new code anyway, and it's just we're purchasing it for the sake of the people. At what point is new Twitter uh, become the multimedia platform for all full self-driving Teslas? where you watch your entertainment on this new Twitter, you uh, maybe uh, video chat with people on this new Twitter. Uh, I don't know, could that be more of a long-term vision for that as well, where instead of instead of uh, partnering with Apple or something, you just turn Twitter into that thing and then your user base starts using that and then you have true, you have an ecosystem built around uh, a smartphone where you use new Twitter, your car where you use new Twitter. So I, I'm wondering if how much of that thought process in purchasing Twitter is also going down that route where it's sort of that becomes that one stop shop for everything, entertainment, communication, so on and so forth. Your, your Optimus bot control, you know, you communicate <laughs> through it through Twitter. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. And you could. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> no, for real. Why, why not? not? Yeah, why not? Yeah, exactly. Forty chess, forty chess. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And, and and I do think um, getting into the messaging space, uh, definitely, like you know, a replacement for WhatsApp or um, Signal or, or Telegram. I'm not sure what's the most popular in in the US, but in South Africa, WhatsApp is what dominates. Um, I, yeah, whether he can uh, get Twitter to move into into that space would be very very interesting. Yeah. Um, we're approaching an hour and 15. Should we do one more topic and then, uh, close out the forum? You guys comfortable with that? I'm, I'm here okay. as long as you want to be here, brother, man. All right. We're here for 12 hours. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll do I it. Break out to, the, break out the energy go. drinks. Let's do this. <laughs> go for it, Kuba. I wanted to go with one follow-up for this, uh, the discussion of the culture. That is the, 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 like another mode, it seems, and maybe even the strongest one. But because it seems to imagine unmanageable to me that it will go away. But if we were to do this thought experiment and and figure out what would what would have to happen 
for the Tesla culture and SpaceX culture to, to start breaking down uh, and because we have to keep really close attention on it, right? Because that would be a really bad sign for us as investors. But can you think of anything that, that apparently the si- growing the company to the size of 100,000 plus people is not it, right? thankfully. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I was a, a bit afraid that maybe as they move into Germany, because Germans are really a uh, special type of people where they like the, the order and they don't like to move in this haphazard, uh, chaotic way, possibly. But yeah. I think they still picked the, the right kind of Germans there to work that are that are a culture fit for Tesla, it seems. Uh, so what, what else might might happen? What do you think? Have you been thinking about it at all? I have. That's a super good question. Um, so the way I view it is that the culture, the reason why the culture exists is because there is a mission that is clear and obviously bigger than the individual. So that's, that's step number one, right? So there's, there's a mission that, so while I work there, uh, the reason why that culture works is because like we talked about having to change constantly on things that you've invested a ton of time in is not an inherently human thing to do because human beings like to avoid pain. We like to just, you know, like why would you self-inflict pain if you have something that works already? You know, there's a small percentage of people that are constantly looking for change, but the huge majority of the human population, I would argue, are not really comfortable with pain that much and constant change on things that you've invested a ton of time in is painful. You know, I've, I've led teams. I know, I know how hard it is to get people to change the smallest things, especially in companies that don't have a, a, a mission and a, and a leader or leadership structure that helps you um, facilitate that sort of culture. Okay. So, so the reason why Tesla is able to change as much as, as it can and why it has a culture of innovation and moving forward and why they have people that are willing to do that is because there is a uh, there's a mission that all of us can look towards to that, that we know this is for a very important reason. We're not just changing something to make our boss happy. We're changing happy so that we're faster towards getting more cars out the, the door so that we can advance humanity towards a self-sustaining future. There's a very clear pathway to that, even in distribution right? If, if my team does a really good job, more customers will leave the service center happy and recommend the car to their friends, which will help the adoption of Tesla's and sustainable transport. So it's a very clear link to those things. Okay. I think once that mission becomes less clear and less, um, maybe less important over time, and it's not shifted to something that is as important or has the same sort of weight, I think that's when we can start asking the question is, okay, is Tesla starting to lose a very crucial advantage that they have over everything else that feeds the entirety of all the other modes that they have, which is that culture, right? Um, Fasad, sorry to interrupt, man. I I do have a question around that. Even if that mission still prevails, right? The question is, it's, what you describe holds true if senior managers enact that mission, right? That's correct. Um, I, I can see a situation where the mission in principle holds true, but you start getting managers and executives who aren't true to it and start favoring their own agenda. And yeah. then that starts cascading down, right? Yes. Um, what prevents that from happening? Is it, is it purely Elon's presence at the top? Um, or, or is there some other way of inoculating against 
that that kind of pernicious political agenda kicking in and the mission just remains a cover? That's a really good question. I think I think Elon at the top is definitely a percentage of it for sure. For sure. I don't know if it's 50% or 80% of or 30%, but I think Elon being at the top is definitely a a percentage of it. Um the the only reason why I hesitate and say that he's the only reason why is because I've I've encountered many many uh leaders and people managers and folks that were driving um, sort of initiatives and things that we were working on where Elon was never brought up. It was like, this is really like, we got to get this done. This is super important. Like this is very, very important. So, so there's some sort of culture that has been uh, created where a lot of the leadership structures have also bought into that mission, but it obviously all started because Elon surrounded himself with people that were like-minded. And then he was, I think, able to put that sort of mindset into his leadership group, which has permeated the rest of the organization. Right? So then the question becomes if Elon leaves, whenever that happens, for whatever reason, if he's not involved in the company whatsoever. And I think that if as long as Elon is involved in the company and in any sort of way, shape or form, I'm confident that culture exists because because I think when he gets a whiff of that shit, that shit gets cleaned up, cleaned up Im- immediately. I really do think it's that sort of thing. But as soon as Elon, say, becomes zero percent involved in Tesla, the question becomes how strong is the leadership structure that he's created around himself in upholding those values and then who or who or whom become the new voices to ensure and the new leaders to ensure that those that sort of behavior continues in the company and that all leadership is continually tested and measured upon those values right um so to me to me elon being there 100 percent guarantees that this culture survives i think if elon leaves today i think this culture survives for say yet another generation of leadership at the executive level and at the managerial level so let's say that those folks will last anywhere between five to ten years okay but then that second generation is when i start sort of being like okay but i'm not sure at that point because then human nature starts to take over right um so Culture for me for the next 10 years, I, I'm confident that it's going to be great. But then after that 10 year mark, I think that's when we can start asking those questions. Um, it's a really good question. And, I, and it's by far the most important signal, in my opinion, to ensure that Tesla is heading towards that. It's, it still has that uh, acceleration towards their end goal. As, as soon as you remove that culture aspect, it, that it yep. starts reducing, right? The acceleration comes down. Does that help? And yeah, I would just say, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's important to realize that Tesla, SpaceX, they're not immune to pol- political issues. Like, there are definitely yeah. people that are always going to be there that are going to be, like, you're, like, it's yeah. not going to be people, but like, there's going to be instances where politics for a single person, like, gets in the way of progress or whatever. But yeah. I think overall, like, having that culture where, like, people understand that that happens and that you can react to it. I mean, it's self-correcting. It's self-correcting. Yeah. 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 I I knew someone who was at SpaceX and he was complaining. He he worked down there in Hawthorne and he was complaining that it it was getting very political and like looking back at that from, you know, my modern lens of like space of these companies. I mean, it's clear that it's not perfect. And like, there's other issues that have been arising out of these companies but, you know, you can't run a, like these large corporations with, with minimal, like 
Elon doesn't oversee all these companies on a day-to-day basis, right? He's relying on people who are already there to like take care of like to run these businesses so that he's not, you know, like he can run five businesses. So I, I think to, the, to a degree, you know, a lot of that stuff is already built in. It's just like, he's kind of like jumping from haystack to haystack. I'm like, you know, okay, today I can focus on this today. I can focus on this. And he's just trying to run things from an engineering perspective and then relying on the sort of cultures that he's already set up to like kind of, uh, move in the right direction, I guess. I would put it in a different way too. As long as Tesla okay. can throw up manufacturing plants in less than two years, the culture's fine. Because you need really yeah. fucking good culture to do that. Talk yeah. about bureaucracy, right? So as, as long as that continues to happen, yeah. we're fine. Yeah. Well, it, it yeah. honestly reminds me of the, uh, well, Farzad would know this better than most, but obviously it got leaked out or whatnot. But the, what did they call it? The not the non, like, the employee non-contract contract or something like that. Oh, the anti-handbook that, handbook. That's it. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, in there, it just it just it's just straight up common sense, and it's like, okay, this is what we do. This is our mission. If you're on board, great. It's great to have you. If you're not, the just the, it, the way the way I interpret it is, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Like yeah. we're here on a mission, and if you want to be a part of it, you're you're a part of it. And we're glad to have you. If you're not a part of it, get out. That's 100% right. Any any other comments around that? Yeah, so I, I think, yeah, culture is definitely sticky, right? And and that's why it's, it's hard to change. I suspect it's more sticky on the bad than it is on the good. Um, I, I think it's probably harder to change a bad culture into a good one than... Uh, because I suppose as humans, it, we will naturally descend into chaos, right? With mm-hmm. You have to put more effort to maintain order and to make things work because the default is is descending into chaos. But I still think there's a stickiness with the good, right? Um, you, you can see all the positive feedback cycles that, that that are there. You know, you've got good managers. They'll recruit good, good people. Um, and yeah, so, so I think... Yeah, I, it resonates what you say that, yeah, for the next 10 years, there's enough momentum and stickiness that it, it will continue. And I suspect it's something, like if we're worried about it, I, I'm sure Elon is, is is worried about it, right? He thinks 10 years ahead. So I'm sure he's got some some things up his sleeve uh, for that that period, right? I think, I think ensuring that there is a uh, percentage of population that is inspired in some way by the missions that these companies are taking on will, I think, uh, maximize the chances of the culture continuing to be good. And that's why I think the yeah. mission is so important because ultimately, you know, if you talk about a lot of the people that, that work at Tesla and I've, and I've, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of them, fortunately, cause I worked there for so long, very, very few people are there for the money. Everyone's there for the mission. Everyone, everyone, everyone is there. I, when I say everyone, I mean a large majority of, of the other workers. So mm-hmm. let me let me just rephrase that. Ninety percent plus of the workforce at Tesla at any given time is fully bought in 
into working as hard as they can to move that mission forward. So that's why it kind of goes back to the mission as well. So it's not just a, it's not just a leader at the top to ensure that people are constantly self-correcting and that there is a leadership structure that's constantly self-correcting when there is these things that test the culture system. But then there's also that overarching thing that all of us can look towards and be like, okay, but this is why it's important. This is why we're doing it. Because it sucks. <laughs> Working really hard sucks. <laughs> it hurts, you know? It hurts. So having that big reason why is important and then of course as you as you achieve that mission you get rewarded you know the, uh, uh, the stock market or whatever other systems you have that are built that uh, um, allow you to capitalize on the value that you're bringing start to materialize that becomes yet another reason why it's it's good working there because you also make a lot of money you know if, if, if you're getting paid a lot in stock and you and you have you know everyone at, at, at Tesla that works full-time uh, receives some sort of stock grant at some point they they become even more sold on the fact that what they're doing is important, you know? And so I think what's very interesting to watch as well is that as the stock price continues to appreciate over time, which, you know, I think all of us are, are somewhat confident or very confident that it will, um, that's also going to be a, a, a tool that not only reaffirms that the culture aspect is good, but hey, like what you're doing is also being rewarded by the markets and rewarded by those that uh, want to, have a piece of the pie of that you're building you know um yeah i think that's also another variable but it's in, those, it's in those times that you're uncomfortable that you learn the most like that's yeah. i think why tesla's so brilliant is and they put them put their people in in these positions and give them so much trust it's in those times that you do fail and it's in those times that you are the most uncomfortable that you come out stronger. Um, like once you beat it, you're much stronger afterwards. I mean, I've, the, the saying uh, goes, be comfortable being uncomfortable. And after a while, um, in, in a weird twisted way, you almost crave it. Like I'm sure the Tesla people are very um, sick in their head. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, they're just, just the, like, if it wasn't that way, they probably think something was weird at this point. Like they just, we got to move quick. We got to yeah. innovate. And the only way to do that is to be comfortable being uncomfortable and just get it done. To, to that end, Farzad, have you seen many cases of people burning out or just getting overloaded? And is there a self-correcting mechanism for that as well? That's a really good question. Uh, I've definitely see a, I've seen a percentage of the workforce definitely um, get burned out for sure, for sure. I mean, I think really, really the the, the thing that like, I, I'm trying to put a percentage on it. I mean, I would say like at any given time, like maybe five percent of the workforce is probably burnt out. Like burnt out. What I, what I mean about it is like there's a lot of stuff going on. They're working really hard to get it done. They keep hitting walls, and it's like you just have to keep you have to keep pushing because a lot of these problems are just tough to solve, and you you have to iterate a lot. So at any given time, probably five percent of the workforce is burnt out. But um, but what Tesla does really well is is that at least from the from the all the organizations that I was exposed to, uh, people are encouraged to like okay you're burnt out go home dude like take some time off however long you need go home take time off come back fresh you know try to come back and fresh the camaraderie and, as well I think a hundred percent count on people to help you right exactly exactly that was going to be my next thing too is that while that person's not there people will rally because they know it's important 
you know there was a there was a period of time at the at the facility that i worked at where the leader was um was on leave for like two to three months and this was a facility that's about uh almost 100 people and i was you know next in command and then i've never run a warehouse before i stepped in and i ran the warehouse for three months you know and we stole put in a bunch of different changes you know usually what would happen in that scenario is you know second in command comes in and the at a at a usual company i think the direction would be okay just make sure everything's running smoothly make sure you know nothing breaks you know breaks apart make sure that you it's into one piece when i come back but at tesla you're still expected to move the the, the facility forward you're still expected to bring stuff to the table so it's almost like if somebody steps out when they come back it's going to be better than when when they left right and so that's the sort of mentality we all had so and my thing was like okay he's not here for the next three months he needs to take some time but we're still going to implement changes and we implement so we implemented some pretty big changes that are uh unorthodox in an environment where somebody that comes in would usually just make sure that everything runs well we still moved it forward and then when he came back he had to get caught up on all the different changes we made you know so that that sort of mentality exists through the entire company from what i saw from the organizations that i was exposed to but yeah yeah okay any closing comments from the team thank you Okay. We really appreciate yeah. it. Of course. I was super stoked about Optimus. I can say that. that yes. I was super yeah. stoked about AI Day coming up and learning more about that. I honestly, um, just from an automation background, it'll be, uh, I have no doubt that it can get it done. What we can do with robots now with vision and literally taking bottles off of a line at 400 bottles a minute with a robot, just taking a snap picture, knowing exactly where that's at, get it off, move it where it needs to go. Um, I have no doubt that Optimus will be doing, I honestly see it a lot like FSD beta. They'll get it started on basic tasks of just moving parts around and then they'll innovate and innovate and build upon it, build upon it, build upon it. And um, But I think we'll all be surprised seeing it uh, move sooner than later. I yeah, fr from sure. my side, for side, um, someone on the chat uh, on the Discord chat used the term "superfan," which which is an interesting one. And so, the extent we are superfans, it's it it can be a very lonely thing because it's it's you, you know you're you're always the odd one out, always talking about Tesla and always knowing a lot more than everyone else. And it, it's hard to find like-minded people within you, you know your your immediate proximity. And so it's it's fantastic to just have an opportunity to to be in an environment in a context where yeah we we can share at this level. So and um, yeah, whilst there are a lot of YouTubers out there doing wonderful things, I think creating a community that can interact at a broader level like this is is fantastic. So thank you very much for for making the step. Yeah, that's really for kind. Thank you. Trust, for putting a trust in us. I, I think we delivered. At least I know myself. Uh, I had a blast. I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, me too. I hope I you get more than I five have... views. <laughs> oh, watch this be my biggest video. And... That, would yeah. be, that would be awesome. Sorry, Kuba, so go I ahead. I have a lot of new connections in my brain after this chat. A lot of light bulbs went out. And I'm just hoping that uh, your viewers will also enjoy it. Thank you. No, that's that's the entire point of these discussions. And I'm so happy you said that because I think 
I think what's really cool about having a forum like this is, you know, we've never met each other before in this forum, but I think having the shared experience um, and, and hopefully a, a very open discussion forum where you guys feel comfortable sharing those ideas is ultimately my goal. And uh, I, I had, a, I mean, I had, a, I think, I think this went, I thought it was going to be a really good exercise and I think it went better than I expected because the flow of information I think was, was even more smooth than I, than I expected. And of course, it's not going to be like as clear as in person, obviously, but I still feel like we, we were able to sort of connect and share ideas in a, in a, in a pretty good way. So no, th I mean, thank you guys for, for uh, accepting the invitation of coming on. And uh, I thought it was a great discussion and hopefully, um, like you said, hopefully, you know, when you go to bed tonight and you wake up, there's like a bunch of like new things that your subconscious has figured out that maybe has put into your into your conscious mind or even before you go to bed and for the viewers as well i hope this was an engaging conversation for y'all and uh ultimately i think the the message here from my end is is like i i really want to continue creating uh ways for us to share ideas as openly as humanly possible and so if if you're somebody that wants to add to the discussion in the comments feel free to do so um and then in the future i'll look to uh, add you know maybe we'll do like a role rotating as folks on my Patreon channel are comfortable. Maybe we'll have rotating channels. And of course, anybody that wants to come back is more than welcome to come back. But I would love also love to have a variety. So again, thank you guys for supporting the channel. Love you guys very much. Honestly, I'm, I'm super, super humbled. And uh, uh, thank you. And then we'll see you on the next installment of this cool little thing we've started. So thank you all very much. And uh, we'll see you later. Awesome. Thank you. Y'all right. stay on. Y'all yes. stay on. Yeah.